0: The following sermon was delivered at the 1030 Worship Service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. In Dublin, Ireland in 1789, when he was 86 years old and just two years before his death, John Wesley, one of the founders of our Methodist movement, finished writing a sermon that he had been thinking about and praying about for quite some time. And by most standards, at that point in his life especially, Wesley's life and ministry had seemed to be a great success. His time as an Anglican priest had gotten off to, shall we say, a rocky start, but by his late 30s, things had really turned around. Together with others, he had begun this movement, this Methodist movement that continues to this day, that that grew quickly across the British Empire, especially once it spread into this continent. In his own time, he was one of the most widely published authors and well-respected public advocates, outspoken in his criticism especially of, of slavery and war and economic practices that kept dividing folks from one another. But by 1789, when he was visiting this Methodist society in Dublin, he had started to ask himself some pretty hard questions, both about his life and his life's impact. Centrally, as he wrote this sermon, his question was, if the Methodist movement was so successful as it seemed to be by the way that it had spread, if the Methodist movement was so successful, then why, he asked, was the world not a better place? In the sermon, in fact, he phrased the question even more bluntly. He said, why has Christianity and why has the Methodist movement of Christianity done so little good in the world? That's a question and a sermon that provide a, a wonderful window for us into Wesley's deepest held convictions. The measure of our success, the measure of success for any congregation or for any Christian movement, cannot be the number of members or the quality of our buildings or the size of our budget but instead the measure of success for the church, for our Methodist movement as a whole, must always be whether the world is a better place because of our ministry, whether the world is a more loving place, a more just place, a more whole place. And Wesley lamented in his final years that this movement he had helped to start had not accomplished nearly as much in this regard as he had thought that it should have done. Most often, throughout his life and ministry, Wesley pointed to our preoccupation with money as the primary reason that we struggle to make a real difference in our communities, how we allow our money so often to divide us. Among his most frequently quoted teachings are three simple rules about money. Earn all you can, he said, save all you can, and give all you can. In the sermon that he wrote from Dublin, he observed that most Methodists had learned that first rule quite well, earn all you can. Some had learned the second, save all you can. But very few, he said, had learned the third, give all you can. And because of that, he concluded our ministry had been muted Wesley insisted that congregations, or societies as they were called, ought to include everyone, everyone in the community from every level of wealth and poverty. And not only should individuals be helped out of poverty, but systems that keep folks, some folks impoverished should be weakened by our work together. Wesley was absolutely obsessed personally with ministering among folks who were economically vulnerable. Well into his 80s, he was said sometimes to walk up to 10 hours a day, even in the snowy streets of London, in order to knock at the doors of Methodists to collect money from them to be given away. This relentless focus came from one of the core convictions of our Methodist movement, at that time and still today, that there is no religion but social religion, no holiness but social holiness personal piety and social justice, or what we might say loving God and loving our neighbors are intrinsically and inseparably joined. We cannot have either one without the other. We cannot be holy except as we are engaged in making the world whole. We cannot be disciples except as we are involved in transforming our neighborhoods into beloved community. We cannot grow into the image and likeness of Christ except by plunging headlong into the hurting, vulnerable places of our world. The mission of our whole United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The fact is, we cannot do one part of that sentence without the other. Our personal relationships with God always must be expressed by the ways that we connect in our communities. That truth and core conviction of our Methodist movement is part of what's communicated too in today's gospel, the story at the center of this Transfiguration Sunday. In the story, Jesus takes three disciples with him up onto a mountain to pray. And while they're all praying together, Jesus is transfigured, his appearance changes, and Moses and Elijah appear there with him, all of them talking together. Quite literally, we might say it's a mountaintop experience for Peter, James, and John. Together, in prayer, they experience this overwhelming, sort of mystical encounter of God's nearness, and that encounter will strengthen them throughout the difficult days that lie ahead. It's the reason that we read this story on this day every year, on this bridge day between seasons, just before the difficult days of Lent begin. But Peter, Peter doesn't want to be strengthened for difficult days ahead. Peter wants to stay on the mountaintop. He'd much rather hold on to the encounter. Rabbi, he says to Jesus, it's good that we're here. It's good to be so overwhelmed by God's glory. So let's make three shrines. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Maybe he had scouting in his background. He says, let's set up camp and stay here. And why not? Of course, Peter doesn't want to return to the conflict, the challenge that's been swirling and growing around Jesus, who would? The world's a messy place. Of course we'd rather life's high points could just last and go on forever. We'd rather savor falling in love without having to do the dishes or manage the household finances or change diapers or all the rest. We want to experience the mountaintops and just stay there. Experience closeness with God without all the complications of living lives committed to personal and relational and social transformation. And yet, that's not where the story ends. As the story is told to us, Jesus doesn't accept Peter's offer to set up camp and stay there. Instead, after the disciples are told to listen to Jesus, immediately they head back down the mountain. That is, back into the valleys, the countryside, back among the people where ministry happens. After their mountaintop experience, Jesus leads the disciples back into the neighborhood. And just beyond where we finished reading the story today they find themselves surrounded yet again by a crowd with deep and real needs folks who are arguing with each other and dividing themselves into separate little tribes folks needing healing from emotional and and physical and political and economic pain that's the truth of this story and it's the truth of our lives as well that a full life always leads us from contemplation into action from devotion to dirty hands, from prayer to protest, from meditation to ministry, from from glimpses of heaven to a life committed to making heaven on earth real for all. Mountaintop experiences are wonderful and life-giving, but they cannot be where we stay. For our incarnational faith, faith in the way of God who, who joins us in flesh and blood in the mess of the real world. Faith in the way of one who shares meals with folks who have been rejected by their neighbors, our incarnational faith keeps calling us always to come back down from the mountain so we can inhabit our neighbor's needs. Our relationships with God don't remove us from those needs. Just the opposite is true. Our faith plunges us straight into the heart of them. For right next to the mountaintop, there is a slippery slope that sends us into new, unexpected, compassionate and courageous relationships, so that both our neighborhoods and ourselves can be transformed by God's love, personal holiness and social holiness, personal piety and social justice, ascending the mountain to experience God's presence through those spiritual disciplines that are a part of our faith, and descending back into the valleys to experience God's presence in the neighborhood through tangible actions of justice seeking and peacemaking and self giving ministry. Both are essential. Personal holiness or our love of God undergirds everything that we say and do, making us more and more aware of God's presence, especially in moments of silence and solitude. But social holiness cannot be separated out. For following Jesus and, and faithfulness to Jesus' mission always means remembering that He cast out both personal and social demons. He withdrew to mountaintops to pray, but always remained available to the needs of his community. So too for us then, there can be no separation between our love of God and love of neighbor. Prayer and justice, fellowship and witness, contemplation and action, personal and social transformation. In Wesley's time and place, he focused on economic injustice, and food insecurity and the criminal justice system and war and slavery and inequities and in access to education. That relentless focus is the movement we now have inherited. Much like the mantle, the coat, the ministry passed on from Elijah to Elisha in today's story, that's the ministry that's been handed on to us. Ministry that participates actively in the healing of the world. Ministry that inhabits creation's broken places Ministry not just to or for, but truly always with all our neighbors. So what are the needs and the systems and the injustices that call for our attention in our time and place? What are those needs here in Kent or across Portage County or across Ohio or across the world? Where are we being called to go and to be and to inhabit with God's love together as a congregation living together like a, a pebble of God's love dropped into our neighborhood sending out ripples of belonging and care. Or to paraphrase Wesley's question, is our local and global neighborhood becoming a better place because of and through our ministry? Well, Thanks be to God, in so many ways, I really believe that it is just in the few months that I've been blessed to be among you all from what I've seen and heard and experienced I really believe that it is. But now what's our next step in that ongoing work toward healing divisions and caring for creation and ensuring that everyone has access to the basics we all need? Whatever it is, by God's grace, may we stay open to it, open to God's call, open to Christ's invitation, open to moving week by week with the Holy Spirit from worship into ministry, from this place into our community, so that we and our whole neighborhood may be transfigured, transformed together into the fullness of God's beloved community. By God's grace, may it be so. Thanks be to God, amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent sermon podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.